Uh, we're doing a new series. It's called The Four Challenges of Christ, uh, of Jesus. And, and one of the things that I want to kind of set up before I start preaching today is this. We have done a message series about this before. So those of you that have been here for maybe over a year or two years, I can't remember how long ago it was, um, you're going to say, hey, Gabriel, you've already preached this, and you don't do a lot of repeat stuff. You're right on both accounts. Um, but what I want to do is this is one of those foundational message series for our church because it kind of helps set up some of the vision uh, and some of the backbone for what our church does and how our church proceeds. And so the reason I want to re-preach it and talk about it again is not to just because I didn't have anything to preach. I'm actually going back through the thoughts and I, I'm, I'm looking at it with fresh eyes. And so today um, we're going to be doing these challenges and as we go through them, um, I just want you to know, if you've been here for a while, I want you to know, um, I've actually looked at some of these things, and I, I kind of rethought some of, the way, some of the ways we look at them. If you haven't been here for a while, if maybe you're new, or, or you've just been here for a few months, and then disregard everything I just said. This is all brand new stuff. It's all good for you. Um, but we're going to start off in John chapter 1, and, and one of the things that happened is, a while back, I was, I was doing some reading, and I came across... Um, I came across this, this book. Somebody was trying to advertise a book. They're trying to promote their book. And, and as I was kind of looking at this advertisement for the book, um, one of the things I noticed is they talked about, um, I think they called it like four chairs. And, and they were talking about different things that Jesus said, four things that Jesus said. And, and I, I kind of glanced over that and I thought, you know what, that's a really interesting thought. And so um, I didn't buy the book. I probably should have. But instead, I just did my own study on the four things that they talked about. And I just found it very interesting, and I started looking at it, and then I started realizing these are four things that become a pathway for all of us as Christians to not only grow, but to put ourselves in the purpose that God designed us for. And so that's really why we're doing this, and I'm going to talk a little bit also about how we want to accomplish some of these challenges as a church and then also as individuals. So if you look at John chapter 1, you're going to see... Uh, in verse 37 is where we're going to start. We're going to kind of break this up. We're going down through verse like 41 today. So 37 through 41. Um, I should have all of that in your notes today as well. But, but you're going to notice something. You're going to see two disciples and they're following Jesus. Now, most people feel like these are uh, John and Andrew are the two disciples that are following Jesus. And what happened is John and Andrew were actually disciples of John the Baptist first. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, and he is considered biblically as the forerunner for Christ. So he's the one that had to come first and prepare the way for Jesus to show up. So John the Baptist is baptizing people because that's his job, that's his name, right? And so he's baptizing people, and as he's baptizing people, he sees Jesus, and he says, that is the Lamb of God. That man right there is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. Well, John and Andrew hear him say that, and they're like, we want to investigate this. If if our teacher is saying something about that guy, we need to check this guy out. And so, uh, like most people do, they were just super creepy, and they snuck up behind him, right? And so the Bible says, when the two disciples heard him say this, about John, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So we're going to talk about this. We're going to break this down for just a minute. The first thing, in order for you to follow Christ, in order for you to be um, a disciple of Christ, the first thing you need to know today is you need to know what you want. What is it that you want? I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't turn around and tell them what they want. 
He doesn't tell them what they need. He doesn't, he doesn't say, listen, here's the problems I see in your life. Instead, he turns around, he looks at them and says, what do you want? Some versions say, what are you seeking? What are you pursuing? One of the things I like to ask people when they first come to our church is I like to ask them, why are you here? Like, what brought you here? Because I get a lot of answers. You know, a couple of things that I, I, I hear is I hear people say, um, I, I'm looking for relationships. I, I just, I just want to be somewhere where I can find some, some people that will love me and care for me. I want to find some people that I can do life with. I'm looking for a place to get involved. I want to I be somewhere where I can get plugged in. Another one is, I hear people say, I'm looking for truth. I feel like I've been... Um, been given a, a bunch of fluff and a bunch of um, extracurricular stuff, but I want to find the truth of God's word. I want someone to give me the truth. We've had people come in saying, I need healing. I've been burned by churches. I've been burned by people. I've been burned by a pastor. I've been burned by a denomination, and I just, I just want to find a place where I can be healed. We've got some people looking for forgiveness, people that are struggling in sin, and they just, they just are looking for a place where they can find forgiveness. Some people are looking for salvation. Some people are looking for life change. I've, I've had a lot of people tell me, they said, I, I just need to get back into church. I had someone tell me that the other day. They said, they said uh, we want to come to church. And I said, great. And, and they said, we need to be in church. And, and so the reason someone would need to be in church is because they feel this need deep down inside that they've got to get closer to God, but they may not always know how to do that. They, they need to be in church. Some people are looking for something real. They're, they're tired of just the same old, same old, and they want something real. And some people are looking for power because the Bible talks about the power of God. And they say, I want that. I want to find that. I don't want to just have a, a bland, ordinary life. I want to walk in the power of God. Whatever the reason is, you need to know why you're here. You need to know why you're here. You need to know what brought you, not to this building, not to this church organization, but what is bringing you to God. What is the reason why you're trying to follow Christ from a distance and trying to see what he's all about? Why is that happening in your life? See, if you're just showing up to God for no reason, then you're never going to get anything from him. Not because he's not willing to give it, because you don't know what to ask for. When I show up to God, i got to know what I need. There are plenty of times, and we, we use this verse a lot lately, uh, but the, the, the verse out of Psalms where it says, Search me, O God, right? We talk about that one a lot. It says, Search me, O God, and, and find if there's anything in me that's not of you, that's not, that, that offends you, and take it out of me, remove it far from me. The, the reason the psalmist is saying that is the psalmist sometimes didn't even know. David didn't always know what he needed, but he knew for God to search him. He said, Search me and look for anything in me. The Bible says that the heart is wicked and deceitful, and the heart can, can, can confuse you sometimes. So sometimes we got to get back to knowing, why is it that I'm here? Why am I here? Maybe you just came because your wife made you come. That's a good reason. You're here, right? But at least you're here. That's good. Um, and you can take that to God and say, God, you know what? I'm only here because of Jesus, because of my wife. And God will deal with that. Um, but we got to know why we're here, because that's the one thing that he needs to know, is why you're here, because he knows how to deal with it. So the first challenge that brings us to John 1, 39. So challenge number one today is this. Verse 39 says, come, he replied, and you will see. So come and see is our first challenge. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. 
One of the things that, that we need to see today is that Jesus looks at these guys and they said, Hey, Rabbi, we want to see where you're staying. Now, now we understand something here. The, word, the wording there on we want to see where you're staying is more than we want to look at your house. So if you study this, it wasn't about looking at his house. It was about, there, there's two schools of thought here. One, one of the people that I've, or some of the people I've read, they've said that they wanted to see how he lived. Not where he lived, but how he lived. In other words, we want to come check out your lifestyle. Like we hear all this great stuff. Our teacher, John, says all kinds of good stuff about you. And we want to come check it out. Like we want to see what you're doing. We want to see what your life is all about. Another, another uh, group of scholars say this, that they wanted to talk to him, they wanted to ask him questions, they wanted to have an experience with him, but they were worried about doing it right there on the street because there was lots of people around. And so they were basically saying, do you have time, right? Can we set up an appointment with you? Will you check your iPhone calendar and see if there's an opportunity when we can come hang out with you somewhere else? And I find it interesting that Jesus says immediately, come and see. And here's what he's calling to each and every one of us today. Here's the challenge to each and every one of us today. Is he's not saying, I want you to wait and see. He's saying, I want you to come and see right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Whatever it is that you come in needing, whatever it is that you come in lacking today, Jesus says, let's deal with that today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. I hear people say all the time when we talk about... Um, when we talk about the, the idea of, of going to the gym, and, and we talk about gym stuff a lot in here because, because I work at a gym, so it ends up coming out. But, but here's the, the thing I've heard people say all the time about any gym, any New Year's resolution, whatever, is they say things like, I would go to the gym, but I need to get fit first. <laughs> That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's like, I'm really sick and I need to go to the doctor, but I'm going to wait till I feel better before I go to the doctor. No, go to the doctor right now. If you want to get fit, go to a gym right now. Like, don't wait for another six months because you're not going to get any fitter in those six months, right? Cheetos in the couch don't make you fitter. Like, you got to get up and go. And so it's important to see that Jesus, but we do this spiritually. I have had plenty of people that say, I want to come to church, or I want to come to Christ, or I, I feel the need to change, but I just need to wait a little longer. There's no reason to wait. Jesus says, come and see right now. Like, let's get this ball rolling. And so we need to see that our challenge today, for some of us, the challenge is going to be the challenge of just making a move. For some of you, the challenge is that first word, come. It's the first part of the challenge. It's just the idea of I've got to make a move. I've got to get off the seat. I've got to get out of my comfort zone. There may be something God's calling me to. There's something I need. There's something I lack. And I've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to get that. The next part of the challenge is the, is the idea of see. Whenever he says see, that word see there doesn't just mean to, to observe or to look at. Now, now, last year, whenever it was I preached these, these four challenges, it was, a, it was a series about Mount Everest. If you were here and we were talking about base camp, and this was base camp. And, and, and the idea of base camp was I can sit at base camp and I can see Mount Everest. I can observe Mount Everest, but I'm not there yet. And so we told you guys uh, uh, last year, we said, we said sometimes it's good just to come to church and just to observe everything. And that's true. Like I had a lady one time come in and her first Sunday, she was a visitor. Her very first Sunday, she came up to me after church and she said, what do I need to do to join the church? And I said, you need to not join the church yet. 
And she looked at me, big eye, like, what in the world? No preacher's ever told me I can't join his church. And I said, you don't even know us. Like, you don't even know if you like us. Like, you just heard one sermon. Like, the next three may be terrible. Um, you, you, just, you just sat in one service. Maybe you sat by a really good person, but next week you're going to come back and you might sit by somebody that's, that smells bad or doesn't like you. I mean, I don't know. You know, just, just wait and see. I said, observe for a little while. And that's valid. That's good. I think it is smart to, to look around. But, but here's the thing. Whenever we read the word see there, it doesn't mean just to look at in this instance what Jesus is saying is he's saying come and experience. Experience me. Experience my life. They spent hours with him that day. Hours with him that day. Trying to experience Jesus. But what we do sometimes is we get stuck in this mode of coming and observing. Yeah, okay, I get it. Observe one time. Right? These guys observed Jesus from a distance. But Jesus' challenge was not to continue to observe. His challenge was come and experience. There is a difference. Whenever I was, um, I promise this will probably be the last um, exercise uh, reference today. But whenever, whenever, I was, uh, whenever I lived in Mobile, before we even moved to Birmingham, um, I, I went to a gym and, and the, the guy that worked out with me um, introduced me to, to a form of fitness, a form of working out called CrossFit. And, and, and so I began to watch uh, CrossFit on TV. They had, back in those days, they had CrossFit on TV that you could watch. And, and so I would watch CrossFit on TV and I would, I would observe it from a distance. And I moved to Birmingham. When I moved to Birmingham, we moved here to Trustful. And whenever we moved to Trustful, I found out that there was actually a CrossFit gym in Trustful. And so I would talk to people about it, and I would observe it from a distance, and I would watch it on TV, and I would look it up online, but I never would make a commitment to experience it. Very dumb, dumb thing on my part, because finally... I experienced it. I went to the gym. I joined the gym. I got involved with the gym. And here's what happened. I absolutely loved it. But as long as I just observed it from a distance, it had no impact on my life, on my fitness. It wasn't until I went in and started to experience it. As long as you keep Jesus way out here and all you, are, all you do is observe, there's no impact on your life. There's no change that's going to happen. It's not until you experience him in a real way. In Psalm 34, 8, the Bible says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. The idea of taste and see means I have to experience it. I have to look at it. I have to taste it. I put it in my mouth. I eat, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you love food? Who loves food? I can talk to you about barbecue sliders all day. Were the sliders good today? Did anybody like the slider? Yes, okay. So I haven't had one yet, so I'm hoping they're really good. Um, but here's the thing. I've got a barbecue slider in a plastic bag on my desk. I can observe it all day long, and it doesn't taste good to me. But it's not until I consume it. Gabriel, you're staying on the same point a long time. I know, because we need to get it. Like, this needs to be something I feel like, and we'll talk about this later, but I feel like the church in general has done a disservice to people by, by allowing people to continually just come in and watch and leave. I hear people say all the time that the reason they go to church is because they've been hurt and they need a place they can just sit back and do nothing and blend in. That's not experiencing God, that's watching God. We don't need to observe, we need to taste 
and see. So the, how do I experience God? I'll give you three ways to experience God, and then we'll shut up, okay? So the first way I experience Jesus or I experience God is I experience him through worship. That's why we worship every Sunday morning. That's why you should be worshiping in your car, in your home, in your workplace, wherever it is. Worship is key to experiencing Jesus. In Psalm 22.3, the Bible says this, Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word enthroned doesn't just mean sitting on a chair. It also means to abide or inhabit. In other words, what the Bible says is, God inhabits, he lives in, he shows up in, where? The praises of his people. When we begin to worship and we begin to praise God, whatever style you like, the, matter, the style doesn't matter. What matters is what's coming out of your heart. When we begin to worship God, the Bible says he shows up. He wants to be a part. So how do I experience God? I experience him through worship. In, in Psalm 92, uh, 95 verse 2, the Bible says this, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. A couple of words there if you want to look them up. The word presence literally means face. In other words, it's not just about I'm around God. It's I am face to face with God. How? Through my worship. When I begin to worship God, I come face to face with him. When I worship Jesus, I come face to face with him. I step into his presence in close proximity. I experience him. The word joyful noise there means shout. So it's okay to shout in church. Don't do it when you're standing right behind me and it's a real solemn moment and scare me. I was in church one time and I was taking up the offering at this church and as that, was my, that was my role. I used to be just the speaking team guy and so I'm, I'm up there doing the speaking team and I'm, and I'm, I'm getting ready to, to take up the offering and everything was kind of quiet and this one guy just shouted out loud. And when he did, this little girl in front of him, a little college student went, ah, because it scared her to death. It was the funniest thing. We had to tell that guy to chill out. He worshiped a very angry. God, he liked to shout in a very angry way. And then that word songs there, this is so cool. You know what it means? Songs. It means we need to be singing, right? It doesn't matter if you can't sing, you need to sing. Like we need to worship God with a song. And you're like, well, that's so stupid. No, I promise you, it's effective. It's effective. I was, um, she's, she's leading kids this morning. Um, so you can tell her I preached about her later. But, but Sophia um, Rodriguez is, is uh, she's head of our kids ministry and and so she got her first ticket the other day. She got her first speeding ticket the other day. And, um, and so we were, we were talking. There's a group of people standing around. And, and um, not, not all of them were Christian. Some of them were. Some of them weren't. And, and Sophia was like, I got a ticket today. And, and I was like, oh, no, what happened? And she said, I was driving by Winn-Dixie. And, and it's 35 miles an hour on that road. And, and she said, I had on Maverick City Music. It's a, it's a worship group. And she said, I was just into worship. And I'm worshiping God. And my foot just kept going down on that gas pedal. And she said, I was going 50 by, by, uh, you know, by Winn-Dixie. And the cop pulled me over and gave me a ticket. And, and the people in the room were like, this one person wasn't a Christian. And they were like, I've never heard anybody say that. They said, most people would say they were listening to rap music, they were listening to rock music, something fast and upbeat, and they, and they stomped on it, and they said, you're the only person I know that got a ticket for listening to Jesus music, you know? I just thought it was great that she was so into what? She was into worship. She was trying to get herself in the presence of God. Now, while you're driving, it may not be the best time to do that. You might want to be careful, but still the point is her heart was right. 
What's so cool is she went to go pay her fine or whatever they had. She went to court to try to get it off. I don't know how all that stuff works. And so she's in line. And, and as she's in line, she gets a call. And the call was from the police department. And they said, hey, the, the prosecutor threw your ticket out. Don't even worry about it. Going home. Now, let me tell you something. That doesn't work every time. So if you think you can get out of a ticket because you're just worshiping God. So if you get in your car and you just turn on worship music and think that's going to get you out of it thing it's not going to work Brett's a police officer he will tell you right now he will still pull you over and sick his dog on you he doesn't care what you're listening to I want to just read quickly this is going to it's it's a pretty big chunk but I want you to listen to this I want you to listen for the heart of worship don't just listen for the act of worship because the act of worship in this in this passage is different than what you and I do here in church we think worship in church is just to walk in and, and, and for some of you, for some of you, it might be just to walk into church and listen to the worship team sing. That's your form of worship. For others of you, it might be to raise your hands. For others, it might be to clap. For others, it might be to, to, to I would say dance, but most people in church don't know how to dance, so they just jump up and down, right? Like just boom, boom, boom. And, and so whatever your form of worship is may be different, but I wanted you to understand the heart of worship. If you can understand that someone's worshiping from their heart, then it doesn't matter how they worship. It matters that they're worshiping from the heart. I, I, I'm, I'm glad I, I've told this story before, um, but Adrian and Marika weren't here, and they're from South Africa. And so one time I was at a church, guys, and there was this, this pastor, and he was from South Africa, and his wife was at church. And obviously she was also from South Africa because they had both come from South Africa. And so, so they were in church, and, and so while we were in church, we began to worship God, just like we do here on a Sunday morning, we're worshiping God, and there were, there were people worshiping in all kinds of forms, and some were lifting their hands, and some were clapping, and some were jumping up and down, and this woman began to dance, and, and she began to dance before the Lord, because the Bible says in the book of Psalms to dance before the Lord, and she began to dance before the Lord, but you know how she did it? She did it very different. In America, we do this. She did this. Booty first. And she would back it up, and she would go around in a circle, and she would just keep backing it up. The problem was there was a bunch of people around, and she would back it up right into us. And so we're trying to worship God, and boom, you'd get, you'd get butt-checked, right, by this woman coming around in a circle. And her circle started real tight, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. You remember that? That was so funny. So, Adrian, please don't do that. Our seats are way too close together. You're going to hurt. You'll never do it again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so you got to watch out for these South Africans because they worship totally different than we do. So I want you to listen here. Don't worry about the form as much as I want you to listen to the heart of this woman's worship. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39, and then we'll jump down um, 40 through 50 just to save some time. One of the Pharisees, a, a religious leader, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city, probably a prostitute, um, heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Some people say that jar could, could have been uh, a year's worth of pay for her, right? Uh, a year's worth of, according to her job, you know? And, and so verse 38, it says, Then she knelt behind him, not even in front of him, knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Some, another version, uh, another one of the gospels says that she, she broke the jar and dumped the whole thing out on him, right? 
The Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, in the next few verses we didn't put in here, Jesus begins to tell a parable about forgiveness. And, and so we can do that one another time. But I want you to skip down to verse 44. And it says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, the Pharisee, He said, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer to wash, my feet, wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to look at the heart more than the action. Look at what her heart led her to do. This woman, knowing her sin, knowing what was going on in her life, pushed past the religious leaders, pushed past Jesus' disciples, pushed past her own fear, pushed past her own embarrassment, and said, I've got to do anything I can to worship the man that forgave me of every sin I've ever committed, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Now you think about this just for a second. Those of us that come into church and we've sinned, we have problems in our life that Jesus has forgiven us for, and yet we're a little bit embarrassed to lift our hand, if that's what the Bible says to do. Now think about that for a second. I'm not putting guilt on you. I just want you to think about the heart of this woman. That she said, I'll push past anything. I'll push past my own fears, my own issues, my own, all these religious people staring at me. It doesn't matter. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to get as close to him. I'm going to give him everything I've got. She worshiped with her whole heart. Why? Because she wanted to experience Jesus. And what did she experience? She experienced life-changing forgiveness. Life-changing forgiveness. Some of us come in here, I asked you earlier, what is it that you want? What do you need? For some of us need forgiveness. And we find that when we experience Christ. How do we experience him? Through our worship. The second way we, for, we experience Jesus is through his word. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, uh, the Bible says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John's talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him... Uh, was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, this is huge. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Whenever we talk about reading the Word of God, we're not talking about reading a book. We're not talking about checking off our reading list. We're talking about experiencing Jesus. Why? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the Word, and in him is life. So when I read his word, when I crack open that Bible every morning, what am I doing? I'm experiencing Jesus and I'm getting life. For those of us that are struggling today, if you're struggling with an issue in your heart, you're struggling with an issue in your life, can I give you one tip? Read God's word. Why? Because there's life in God's word. Why? Because Jesus is the word. There's a research study. I'm going to put some of these stats on the screen. There was a research study done by the Center for uh, Bible Engagement. 
They studied over 400,000 people in 24 different countries from ages 8 to 80. I said I was going to put it on the screen. Did I not put it up there, Kim? And here's what they came up with. If you read your Bible once a week, there wasn't a whole lot of change in your life. You read your Bible twice a week, there wasn't a lot of change in your life. Although God can use whatever it is you read. If you read your Bible three times a week, there was a little bit of change in people's lives. But they found that people that read their Bible four times a week, look at some of these stats. They had a 30% decrease in feelings of loneliness. They had a 32% decrease in feelings of anger. They had a 40% decrease in bitterness in relationships, whether that's towards a spouse or towards kids or co-workers. They were 59% less likely to look at pornography. They were 57% less likely to, uh, or there was alcoholism dropped by 57% in those that read their Bible four times a week. Here's a cool one because these next two go along with the next couple of messages we'll be preaching. They were 228% more likely to share their faith. They were 200% more likely to disciple someone else. And, and they were 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. I wanted to make sure that one was in there because I feel like that's where a lot of us are in America today. We just feel spiritually stagnant. We feel like there, there's a verse in the Bible in Ezekiel where it talks about the river of God. And it says everywhere the river flows, it brings life to wherever it goes, even to the Dead Sea where nothing is supposed to live. But it says that there are marshes off to the side that just stay salty, like they never get anything. A marsh is a place where water doesn't flow in. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't flow out. It has no outlet. It has no, no fresh water, and it just stays stagnant. And sometimes I think in Christ, as Christians, we get to this place where, we're, where we, we are spiritual to a degree, but then we just get stagnant, and no life is in us, and nothing is happening. And this says if we learn to read our Bible four times a week, that we're 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. God's word is so life-changing. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip people to do every good work. That word prepare there means to be made complete, not lacking anything. The third thing we need to do to experience Jesus, and this is the last one, is I experience Jesus when I'm intentional about it. One of the conversations that my wife and I have a lot when it comes to um, marriage and our relationship is the word intentional. See, there's a lot of things that my wife may want me to do, and there may be a lot of things that I want my wife to do, but it doesn't really feel right when we only do those things out of obligation. Does that make sense? My wife doesn't want me to um, do a devotional with her at night because, I, because she has to nag me to do it. My wife doesn't want me to take her out on a date because she nagged me all week to do it. My wife's not a nagger, necessarily, all the time. Today. I'm just kidding. But that's one of the things she and I have talked about. Is she says... When I have to tell you something multiple times that I want, she said, it feels like I'm nagging. Even though I'm not, I'm just trying to remind you. And, and, and the problem is she doesn't want me to do stuff out of obligation to her. She wants me to do it because I thought of it. Because I want to do it. 
because I was intentional about it. I told someone the other day, we were talking about schedules and calendars, and, and my wife and I both work jobs, and, and I work too. And so, um, so we got three jobs between us. We've got two teenage kids that both play school sports, and they're all over the place. And so our schedules tend to fill up very quickly. And so one of the things that she and I talked about, or I was talking to this friend about, is I said, as I'm putting things on my calendar, I have to also make sure that I make time and block out time for her. I have to be intentional about that. God's the same way. God doesn't want you to read your Bible because you're checking off a list. God doesn't want you to worship him because you just happen to show up on a Sunday morning. He wants you to be intentional about it. There's an old Marvin Gaye song, and the Marvin Gaye song says, I want you, but I want you to want me to. And I feel like that's how God speaks to us sometimes, is he's saying, I want you, I love you, I desire you, I want to be with you, but I want you to want to be with me too. I want you to have a desire to be intentional about coming to me. Mary, the Bible says, sat at the feet of Jesus while a party was being prepared. A demoniac got healed and sat at the feet of Jesus, even though there was a whole bunch of pigs running off a cliff and chaos ensuing. He decided that no matter what's happening out there, I got to be right here. Peter, the Bible says, after he had denied Christ and Jesus was, was uh, crucified and buried and raised from the dead... Peter saw him from a distance and jumped out of a boat, swam all the way to shore just to sit around a campfire with Jesus. These people were intentional about experiencing Jesus. They didn't let anything around them stop them. What we can't do is we can't allow worship and God's word to become white noise to us. One of my problems sometimes, and I have to... I have to repent of it and I have to get myself focused is, is I do better listening to the word of God than I do just sitting down reading it. And so I'll get my phone out in the mornings and, and so part of my breakfast routine is I try to get up before the kids and I try to fix my breakfast first and I sit down at the table, I set my phone down, I hit play and I watch it and I have my journal and as God speaks to me, I write in my journal. That's my routine. But sometimes if I allow myself to get busy, what happens is maybe I forget my journal. Maybe I take my, my phone and set it a little bit further away and I just listen to it and then the kids get up and things start happening and it just becomes white noise in the background. Now that's good white noise to have, but if I'm trying to be um, if I'm trying to experience Jesus, that's not the way to do it. I've got to be intentional. There are times whenever um, in our house, uh, Perry does a good job of this, but she'll just turn on worship music and let worship music play in the house. But listen, that's not worshiping if we're not taking time to actually worship. If it just becomes white noise, it's a good white noise to have. But there have to be those moments, like Sophia in the car, where it's intentional. I'm worshiping. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and then we'll close. Just kind of a quick list. I'm going to hit them real fast. So you don't have to write them down. You can get them from me later. Psalm 4610 says, uh, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The intentionality there is to be still. Stop being so busy 
be still and know that I am God. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? It's this intentionality, this desperation, what to meet with God, to, to experience Jesus in a real way. Psalm 84, 1 and 2, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. James 4, 8, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Psalm 27, 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. He wants us to be intentional. The last, the last verse of our passage that we're reading today out of John chapter 1 is verses 40 and 41. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, so Andrew is one of the guys. So it's Andrew and John. We're sneaking up behind Jesus. Jesus catches them, says, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, teacher, we want to see where you live. We want to hang out with you. We want to experience you. And Jesus says, come and see. And then the Bible says they spend four hours with Christ. So now it's saying the first thing Andrew did is talking about when he left Jesus after those four hours, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, this is huge. If you're highlighting in your Bible, this is the one you want to highlight. We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. Earlier they called him Rabbi. Now they call him Messiah. He was teacher and now he's Savior. Something changed in those four hours. Can I tell you where I really need to apologize for the church as a whole? Because here's what the church has done. The church has told you all you need to do is experience the rabbi. You can just experience the preacher. Come listen to my pastor. Come listen to my preacher. Come listen to this word that we have. And we promote the pastor more than we promote Jesus. The church says, come experience our building, come experience our lights and come experience our computer system and come experience the show and experience our band and experience the music and experience the the core team and the people that love you. And we put the emphasis on experiencing the church over experiencing Jesus. We say, come experience our programs. Come experience our kids' ministry and our youth ministry and come experience our small groups and come experience our our Celebrate Recovery or come experience what? And we put the emphasis on the program instead of the Messiah. These two disciples are following Jesus and what they think they're following is a teacher. What they think they need is another person to give them knowledge. But what they don't understand is they're actually following the Messiah who's going to change their life. They don't figure that out until they've experienced them for four hours. We're going to start having four-hour services. Just FYI, just kidding. The idea is this today. It's not about experiencing me. It's not about experiencing the lights and the show and the programs and the ministries. Those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those. All of those things are good. They're just not God. We've got to learn how to experience Jesus Above all else. The word Messiah, I I looked up a a biblical definition for it, something that that they used back in the day. And and here was the definition that they had for Messiah is supremely 
empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish all of the divine plan. That divine plan isn't just God's divine plan for salvation. It's his divine plan for your individual life. See, we come in here, I told you earlier, I said, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? Maybe you come in here hurting and broken and you're saying, I just need healing in my heart. I need healing in my life. I need healing in my mind. Maybe you said, I'm so confused by the world today. I'm so confused about, about you know, where the world is going and I don't know what to think and I just need to find some truth somewhere. And, and you think that the church is the answer to your truth or your question. You think the church is the answer to your healing, but it's not. It's Jesus every single time. Because he is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To fulfill God's divine plan in you and in me. I want to end with with one verse and then I want to end with one last illustration. My friend and and our friend Bob uh, Flattery uh, was a local pastor here in town. And Bob was in a church, he and his wife Michelle and their kids, they were in a church here in town that that they had kind of, they thought things were going to be one way and they just weren't. And they ended up having to shut the church down. It just didn't work out and so they shut it down. And when they did, they were kind of spurred a little bit or burned by their denomination and they had some issues and, and they just got really, really hurt and burned out. And I remember one Sunday, Bob showed up at church and I was shocked. I was like, what in the world is happening? And I knew his church had shut down and so I talked to him and, and, and he said... Uh, you know, we enjoyed the service or whatever, and they left, and they said, we're checking out some churches, and they went from church to church and church, and they, they went to about four or five churches, and then one Sunday, they came back, and they said, hey, this is going to be our church home. You know what? They went to other churches that had much better preachers. They went to other churches that had much better kids' ministries and much better worship teams and much better lights and much better buildings. They went to a lot of churches that had a lot of different things that were much better. And I'm not saying what I'm about to say is not meaning we're the only church like this. There's a lot of them out there like this too. But they said, when we came to this church, when we walked in the building, my wife looked over at me and she said, I feel the presence of God. This is where we need to be. It wasn't about me or the building or the people. It was about an encounter with God that God wanted them here for a reason. I remember sitting in I invited Bob to come sit in staff meeting with us, and, and he would just sit. And he told me later, he said, Gabriel, those first couple of months of sitting in staff meeting, he said, honestly, there were times I'd, I didn't even know if I believed in God anymore because of just all that had happened. I was so hurt and I was so broken. He said, I wasn't even sure about my faith. He said, it was just rocked. And he said, but we found a place where God could heal us and minister to us. And he said, God changed our lives. Now Bob's pastoring a church and doing awesome. He calls and texts me every so often just to tell me how great things are going. God's done a wonderful thing in his life. It took some months to do it. But what happened? He didn't come looking for a church. He came looking for the Messiah to minister to him, to fulfill God's plan in his life. Why don't you stand up with me today as we close. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the way of life granting me the joy of your presence, experience, and the pleasures of living with you forever. What does God want us to do? He wants us to experience him in a real way. I want you to bow your heads this morning. Nobody looking around. We're just going to take just a quick moment. And we're going to look back at that question we asked at the very beginning of the message. 
The, the question being, like Jesus said to those disciples, he said this to John, he said it to Andrew, he looked at them like he's looking at you today, and the Spirit of God wants to ask you this today, what is it that you want? What do you need? What is the gap in your life right now? What is the area of brokenness? What is the place in your heart that needs to be healed? Why is it that you've come to his feet today? Are you looking for truth? Are you looking for life? Are you looking for forgiveness? Are you looking to stop being spiritually stagnant? Are you looking for something real? What is it that you need today? Maybe you need some work in your marriage. And I'm going to tell you today, there's lots of good counseling and lots of good books and lots of good conferences, but nothing compares to Jesus. We got to have him. He's got to be the center. He's got to be the one our focus is on. We find him in his word. We find him in our worship. We find him when we're intentional about pursuing him, the Bible says. This morning, here's all I want us to do. If you're saying, Gabriel, there's something I'm missing. There's something that's broken. There's something that needs to be healed or fixed. There's a, there is a need. There is a want. There is a desire in my life. There's a reason why I'm here today. And I just need Jesus. I just need to experience him. If that's you this morning, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to embarrass you today. Just slip your hand up in the air and I want to pray with you and for you this morning. Because here's the thing. I may be the pastor, but there are things I need from God every day. There are reasons I show up at church and it's not to collect a paycheck and it's not to fulfill my ministry. It's because I need God to do a work in my life. There's a reason in the morning I get my Bible out and I read my Bible. It's because I need God to do something in me. So God, right now, I just pray for every person in this room. God, there may be people in this room today that need salvation. They, they're like the woman who was a sinner, but God, she needed forgiveness. And so God, I pray today that as we've made this move, as we've showed up today to experience you in a real way, that you would meet us and meet our every need. God, I pray today that no matter the need, no matter the problem, no matter the issue, God, that you would show up and you would fill that in today. I thank you that you are the Messiah and you fulfill the divine plan in my life and in our lives. So God, today, if we're lost and we're, we're broken and maybe we're away from you, God, I pray today that you, would, that you would call us back into your presence. God, I pray today that we would find you, that, that we would ask you for forgiveness, that we would believe in you, God, that we would have a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. Maybe we're hurt and we're broken because of something that's happened to us in our past. But today I pray that we would find healing and wholeness and we would be complete. God, maybe we're questioning today. Maybe we're doubting today. And just like Thomas was doubting and you said, put your fingers in the holes in my hand. Come close to me. Come experience me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Find me because I am real. God, I pray today that you would help us to experience you in a real way. Not the church, not the preacher, not the word, not the music, God, not the lights and the show. We would experience the Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.